I know people have never heard the song before. You, you, you think to yourself, well, this is kind of boring. This is kind of slow. But I'll remember when, because when, uh, I had been doing this song for years, and, and when, when Paige uh, had first started hearing the song, um, one day we got home from church and she says, I get it. I get it. I know what the song's about. And, and I know that a lot of you aren't there yet, but, but the, the thing is, is that we wait for you. We're, we're waiting for God to show up. We're waiting for him to answer our prayers. And that waiting is boring. That waiting is tedious, and it goes on and on and on, and it doesn't seem like God's doing anything about our circumstances. And then what happens is, is that we have to create a posture that illustrates to God that we're ready for him. And so it, it shifts into the second stanza where it says, we stand in your presence. We're standing in your presence. See, that's an active position, an active posture that says we're expecting something to happen and we're ready for it to happen. And, and then as we've been standing in his presence, something amazing happens. His Shekinah glory falls down upon us. This is out of Genesis uh, and Exodus when Moses was having his encounters with God on Mount Sinai. And, and the Shekinah glory of God would descend upon him and it would consume him. And then he would go down the mountain and he would preach to his people. And they would see the glory of God shining through his face. And, and so that's what we're after. That's what we're looking for because that's what this world needs. They need to see the confidence of Christ in us and the glory of God shining through us for their benefit, you know, in their circumstance and in their desperation. And we have the ability to change their entire attitude by just letting the light of Christ shine through us. So that's why that song is so powerful. And then when you get to the very last part of the song, this is the really, it's a basis for what we're talking about in this sermon series. When you speak, we want more. When you move, we want more. We want more of the Spirit, more of God, more faith, more power, more Spirit. We want more of anything we can get from God because that is what equips us to go into the world and make a difference. Without that Shekinah glory, we're nothing. Without the Spirit of God inside of us, we're nothing. The world needs hope. God is the hope. We have to release His Spirit into their lives. So before I start actually getting into the message, we better pray. Because I don't want to get off on a soapbox. Let's pray. Holy Father, we love you. I hope that our actions back that up. We are a people that have faith in you. And again, I hope our actions back that up. We know that there's a world around us that's dying and that's in trouble and it's in darkness. And Lord, we have to let the light of Christ shine through us. May it start today. As we look for more of you, more spirit from you, I pray that you'll answer our prayers. Like Don said earlier, help us to be in a posture where we're ready to receive and we're ready to accept the invitation that you have given us. And I pray, Lord, like I always do, that you will breathe life into the words on these pages so that as we talk about them, as we hear them, life will be breathed back into each of us. May you impress us today, Lord with who you really are. In Christ we pray. Amen.
All right. So I have to tell you up front. This is one of those crazy messages that you probably have never heard before. I was raised in a tradition where this was foreign topic. We were kind of taught to ignore this stuff, stay away from it. It's just trouble. It doesn't exist. It's outdated. So just pay attention to what we're teaching you to believe in and everything will be fine. But over the last year or so, I have been studying this topic because of the condition of the church. I'll tell you a quick story. This is based on a little story out of the book of Acts. I can't remember the chapter and verse. I looked for it, couldn't find it uh, this morning while we were singing. But the story goes like this. There was a group of pastors that were taking a tour of the Vatican. And as they were walking through, they were just amazed with all of the jewels the gold, the silver, the, the majesty of the building and, and the money that had been invested into that property. And one of the pastors, a Baptist pastor, looked at another pastor. I think he was Presbyterian. doesn't really matter. But he says to him, I guess we can no longer say gold and silver have I none. And the other pastor quickly retorted, nor can we say in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. Let that sink in for a moment. But in that passage, that was the text. There was a beggar, and the apostles came to him, and he was begging, and, and, he, and they said, gold and silver, we don't have any. But what we can do is we can give you this gift in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. But we've lost that ability. You see, the church as a whole may be alive and well in some locations, but in other locations, the church is dead because our faith is dead. Because we have no hopes, we have no dreams, we have no vision, we have no children. And because of that, those things, actually those are probably the byproduct, but because of these things, we are dead. And there are a lot of dead churches in this world. They just go through the motions of being Christians. They know that they need to go to church, and so every few months they go. They know they're supposed to, to return their tithe to the Lord. And so they'll put 10 or $12 in the plate every two or three months. I'm not shaming them. I'm just saying this is reality. There are people that don't want to serve. They don't want to help with anything. They just want to receive because of this consumer uh, culture that we live in. And nothing is changing. People's faith is, is pretty weak. I'll even tell you my faith is weak. People don't know their Bible. Their prayer life is reduced to moments, just moments a week. And of course, the church has no power to go out and do ministry. So, so what is missing? How do we get power back into the church? How do we get this hope, this vision, this, this presence of God in us and working through us? How do we make this stuff happen? And that is why I've started off in the series, for my benefit, more of you. I want more of you. More of God. I mean, more of you is fine too, but more of God is my goal, right? And so I've been studying this topic. If you have a pen and paper, I want you to write these three uh, thoughts down. This is going to challenge you because, like I said, this stuff just isn't being taught in the church. But I have more verses than you're going to want to shake a stick at that's going to guide this thought process. 
The first point is this. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, this is the one little verse that supports this. It says, for we were all baptized, which means immersed, meaning that water overcame us. It just kept uh, just immersing us in this water by one spirit into one body. If you couple that with Matthew 28, 19, which is in our second point here, let me give you the second point. The disciple baptizes us in water. So the first one, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus. The second point is the disciple baptizes us in water. Matthew 28, 19 says, Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The third point is this. Jesus baptizes us in or with the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 3, 11 and 12, Matthew wrote, uh, this is, these are the words of John the Baptist. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now remember, baptism is immersion, to be immersed in whatever we're being baptized into. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus. We're being immersed with Jesus. The disciple baptizes us in water. We're being immersed in water. If Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, then we're being immersed in the Holy Spirit. Now, here's some byproducts that you're going to need to know. You may not know this. All four of the gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, they don't have a lot of, uh, of common ground. You see, Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote primarily of Jesus' last year of ministry. John, which was written in about 70 AD, uh, noticed this, went back and, re- and wrote his book, which incorporated a little bit more of the Gospels prior to his last year of ministry. So what you'll find is, is in Matthew 3, which I just read, it talks about Jesus coming to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 1, verse 8, it says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In Luke three sixteen, I baptize you with water, John the Baptist, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then in John 1, 33, John writes, I did not know him. Again, this is John the Baptist speaking, though. I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Holy Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So all four gospel books talk about this. 
They all talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. But if all four Gospels talk about it, why have we never heard it before? Because in many ways, it doesn't match our theology that makes us comfortable, that we've been raised with, that we've been taught from our childhood. It's a, it's a topic that scares some people. But yet, it's a hugely biblical concept. So if we go back into point number one, uh, we are baptized of the Holy Spirit when we repent and confess. When we repent of our sins, when we confess that Jesus is Lord, died on the cross for my sins, we are baptized of the Holy Spirit. That means that we are saved at that point. And coupled with baptism in water, we are now saved believers. And we have the Spirit we, we have been baptized of the Spirit, so the Holy Spirit is in us for the sake of our salvation. So every one of us that have confessed that you're a sinner and you need God's grace and you've been baptized in water, you are saved and you have God's saving grace to get you into heaven. That's where most people stop because they got what they wanted. They purchased their life insurance. They have their fire insurance, not going to get burned now. And so what happens is, is that everybody who has been baptized into water and now are church members and they're believers, that's what the church is full of. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about why is it that the church has no power? We have baptized believers, but why do we not have any power? Why is the Holy Spirit very seldom talked about and mentioned among us? That's mind-boggling to me. And whenever I talk about it, I make people uncomfortable. When I talk about demons or dark spirits that come against me as the pastoral leader, people are like, mm, I don't like that stuff. Let's talk about it. Let's change the subject. When, when I talk about praying for people like Annalise or Eric who are struggling in their health and, and their hope is evaporating and, and we need to pray for them prayers of healing, then we have these little pithy phrases we use to kind of displace our responsibility. Well, it just wasn't God's will. Really? Healing is not God's will? Isn't that what salvation is? That would be like saying, well, I was going to lead them to Christ. I was going to tell them about Jesus, but I didn't think it was God's will. Of course it's God's will. He wants them to be healed. He wants them to be remedied. He wants them to be reconciled to God. He wants them healed spiritually. Why wouldn't he want them healed physically? Page two. A couple of points that we need to understand is at this point... Up to now, the Holy Spirit has never descended on a human being and remained. If you go back to King Saul, it says that when he was anointed to be the king of Israel, the Holy Spirit came on him. The Spirit of God was present in him. But because of his sinfulness and his rebellion against Samuel and the, and the, the processes that God put in place, the Spirit departed from him. Notice that when King David... Uh, was anointed, the Spirit of God was upon him. But because of his sinfulness with Bathsheba, he went into prayers. And you can find this in the Psalms. I, I want to say it's Psalm 32. I don't recall, recall right now. I didn't write it down. But in that prayer, he prayed this. He, he prayed something to the effect of, please don't remove thy spirit from me. Please don't remove thy spirit from me. 
It's almost like he expected it because he knew how badly he screwed up. Another thing is to ask is this, because John the Baptist is the one that wrote this. When did, or, or John, when did John the Baptist see the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus and remain? It was at his baptism, correct? All right. So at his baptism, the Holy Spirit, which was like a dove, meaning it wasn't a dove, it was a spirit, but it looked like a dove, it acted like a dove, it descended on Jesus and remained on him. That's what the prophecy said. Look for the one on which the Spirit remains. He is the one that has been set apart to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I was just thinking of another verse, which is kind of unique on this topic. In John chapter 7, I think I'm supposed to tell you about this one too. I'm trying to be obedient. All right, so in John chapter 7, verses 37, 38 through 39, here's the topic. Uh, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within them. We've heard this before, probably. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So all of those people that had been baptized by John the Baptist hadn't received it yet. Jesus received it and it dwelled upon him because that occurred at his baptism. He's got the Spirit which enables him to do the miracles that he does and to work in power like he does. Now remember, after his baptism, the Spirit led him into the desert where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. He needed that power in order to overcome the devil's temptations. Remember, he was divine, but he was also fully human. But for us, for those in this context at this time frame in history, it had not yet been given. It wasn't going to be given until actually after he was glorified at his death and resurrection and on Pentecost Sunday. So it's coming, but it hasn't come yet. You don't have to pay extra for that. That's separate. So here's the three things we're looking at. We're looking at salvation. We're looking at water. We're looking at spirit. Those are the three topics that we're looking at in regards to our spiritual experience with God. First, baptism occurs at our salvation. We know that. We are baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ, into the Trinity. Water baptism follows up our repentance and confession in our immersion in water. And then baptism of the Holy Spirit comes at a latter date, at a different time. Now, I know some of you are probably getting angry with me because you're like, nope, you're lying. This is not truth. And I said, well, this is scripture. And I've got a whole lot more scripture to use. Okay? So just bear with me. Believe me, I didn't want to hear this stuff either because this was contrary to what I have ever been taught. But God is telling me this is what it is. He says, you want power in the church? This is where you find it. And remember, like Don said, this is an invitation. It's not mandatory. But if you want to work in the Spirit of God and in the power of God and in Jesus' name and you want to make make the, the demons flee and move mountains when your prayer life, then you're going to need the Holy Spirit. 
Now let's go on a little bit further. Did Jesus have all three? Did he have salvation, water, spirit? We'd like to say yes, but actually Jesus didn't need to be saved because he lived a holy, perfect life. He never sinned. He didn't need salvation. But did Jesus receive water baptism? Absolutely. Did he receive Holy Spirit baptism? Absolutely. The Holy Spirit came and remained upon him. Now remember, Jesus is our example. We're supposed to follow what he did. We're supposed to follow how he lived. That should be important to us. Now, I'm going to give you some scriptures that are going to talk about all three of these things. Salvation, water, spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, this is the passage that John read for us. It was hard to come up with a good passage for for him this morning because there's so many here. Um, But hopefully this one will be pertinent and relevant at the same time. It says in Acts 1, 4 through 5, While he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with or in that little preposition. I think it's a preposition. I don't remember my English. But it goes either way, in or with the Holy Spirit. Jesus had to descend to the Father. Is that the right word? I can't remember what word that was supposed to be. Jesus had to do something to the Father. but Oh, oh, he had to ascend to the Father. Why did I put descend? Jesus had to ascend to the Father before the Father was going to pour out the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying, Lord, or he was telling the disciples, when I leave, you will have more ability than I've ever had because a comforter is coming. The, the, the paraclete is coming to you. That was the warning. Now he's saying, it's getting real close. In just a few days, it's going to come to you. Now, as a side note, I've been in the upper room in Jerusalem. It's cool. It's really cool. When you stand in this empty room and you think that at one time in history... The greatest spiritual minds that the world has ever known were gathered in one place, and they were praying. And I I keep thinking, I wonder what their prayers sounded like. I mean, I wonder if it sounded like they were reading out of a King James Bible. I wonder if they were praying um, things like, Lord, I can't go another moment without you. I need you in my life. I'm desperate without you. I wonder if they prayed like that. Or if they prayed stuff like, Lord, why are we here? Why did you send us here? Why can't we go home yet? When are you going to show up? I don't know what it was, but it had to be awesome because these are the greatest minds ever. And then when the Holy Spirit descended upon them and the ground shook and people started uh, seeing these little flames upon their heads and hearing their own language, that just had to be incredible. The other point is this, and in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit came when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Third point is this, that when Peter stood up and delivered a message to them after this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he said, this is what was foretold through the prophet Joel. This is not anything crazy. This is nothing unexpected. We've been waiting for this, just like Shekinah glory illustrated. When the people heard this, all of the people gathered, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This actually is going to come in in chapter 2, verses 37 through 39. 
What shall we do? Peter replied, repent, which is salvation, and be baptized in water, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. At that point, they're saved. Water baptism, sealed. In the name of Christ. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the promise that God has given you and that I told you about already. The gift of the Holy Spirit is coming to you. Now, I've heard a lot of people in a lot of different religious circles that will say this. Miracles and wonders, power of the Holy Spirit, that was all during the apostolic age and it ended when the last apostle died. I have heard many times people say miracles don't happen anymore. Tongues are irrelevant anymore. Healing doesn't happen anymore. Prophecy doesn't happen anymore. But I want you to hear this last part of verse 39. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is, by the way, where we fit in. This baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all of us if we choose to accept the invitation to receive it. Now go to Acts chapter 8, verses 12, and then 14 through 17. Oh, we got plenty of time. But I'll try talking faster just to uh, spare you. All right, so in, this is pertaining to the people of Samaria. Remember, they're the half-Jews. They're the ones that were shunned by the full Jews. In Acts chapter 12, it says this, But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized in water, both men and women. In verse 14, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, in in other words, they had accepted the invitation to become believers, they sent Peter and John to them to welcome them into the church and to say, you have everything you need now, welcome. No, that's not what the Bible says. Peter and John were sent to them because they heard about these new disciples who had been baptized into the Christian faith. When they went there, they said to them, Oh, they prayed for them. Sorry, that's a different story. They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. Now, wait a minute. We were taught that at baptism, we get the Holy Spirit. All we need, we get it at baptism. The Bible must be wrong because this is not what I was taught. Or maybe my theology was wrong. It says very clear in the scriptures They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Interesting. Why would Peter and John go there to lay hands on them Um, because I thought they were already saved. And with their salvation, I thought they already had everything they needed. Well, obviously they didn't. You see, we have to receive the Holy Spirit. We have to want it. It's invited to us. We're invited to receive it, but we have to accept it. We have to come and say, I want the Holy Spirit in my life. And many people never pray that prayer. 
we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit in order to do incredible works of grace that we cannot do by our own strength. Now, I'm going to give you another story here, which is, it it, it solidifies this with me. In Acts chapter 6, the Greek Jews, the Hebrew Jews had a crisis. Nobody was, was adequately taking care of the widows in the distribution of food. So the 12 disciples get together and they have a little prayer meeting. And this is what they come up with. Choose among yourselves seven men of God who are baptized believers, right? No. Who are full of the Holy Spirit. Now, why did they need to make that distinction if everybody already had the Holy Spirit at their baptism? Because they didn't. There was more. And they found seven men of God who had received the Holy Spirit and were full of the Holy Spirit, and they were the only ones adequate to serve the needs of the widows. Now, just think about this. Think about this. If we were a church and every person in charge of work areas were full of the Holy Spirit, how much bittering and arguing would there be? How many times would people's selfish ambitions get in the way? How many times would would they fight because uh, we do too much, we don't do enough, we do too much, we don't do enough? Oh, wait, we forgot to pray. You know, and and I'm not going to stop there. What if everybody on the committee was also full of the Holy Spirit? Then we just might be able to push back the gates of hell. I've always wondered, this is not a criticism, this is just an observation. How many deacons and elders do we have among us who do not have the fullness of the Holy Spirit? It's possible. I'm not judging either way, but it is possible that you could get to a place of authority like that and not have it. Believe me, I know hundreds of pastors who don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Hundreds of them. And they wonder why their churches are stagnant and why nobody wants to join the church. Nobody's being baptized. Nobody's being born into the church. Go figure. Why did the disciples ask for the men who were known to be full of the Holy Spirit? Now, some would say, well, how do you know? That's awful judgmental. How do you know if a person's full of the Holy Spirit or if they're not? Uh, You'll know. If you have a preacher who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, you'll know. Again, nobody's life will be changed. No baptisms. The church will be declining. People will be bickering and fighting and seeking after selfish ambitions. And nothing will be fruitful. But look at the story of Stephen again. Stephen, because of his faith, was severely persecuted And was taken out in Acts chapter 7 and stoned to death. And while he was being stoned to death, looked up to heaven and still managed to worship and praise his God, even in the midst of his stoning. Yeah, I don't have any question that man was full of the Holy Spirit. Let's skip ahead. Acts chapter 19. Hopefully we'll be done in the next three hours. No, hopefully we'll be eaten in three hours. For three hours, that's what I meant. All right, so Acts chapter 19, 
verses 1 through 7. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road to Ephesus. I'm going to reduce this a little bit. There he found some disciples. A disciple is a student of Jesus, a student of whoever is your mentor. Uh, A disciple is the Greek word mathetes, and it just means somebody devoted to the teaching of their mentor. So we assume that a disciple is a, a, a student of Jesus. And Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Remember, the point of belief, point of salvation, is when you repent of your sin, confess in Jesus as the Lord, and are baptized in water. And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. They probably attended the same church I did growing up, because it was never a topic of discussion. But then Paul takes it further. Then what baptism did you receive? They said, John's baptism, which is water, and repentance, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of salvation, a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. All right, that was their salvation experience. Now, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesied. Now, let me just tell you, I do not believe that everyone full of the Spirit has to preach or speak in tongues and has to prophesy. Those are different gifts that God will determine who needs those gifts and at what time. But I don't have those gifts. I don't think I do. Maybe they're inside me. I just haven't needed them yet. But you see the point. Even though they were saved, repented, were baptized in water, they still didn't have the Holy Spirit until Paul laid hands on them to receive it. Now, in John 7, 37-39, I already told you about this passage. We'll scratch that one. This is where it gets really heavy. Now, there's a lot of these, but I'm not going to use them. I'm just going to use a couple. In 1 John 5, 7-8, The scriptures say there are three that testify to the awesome majesty of God and his plan of salvation for the people. Three things, the spirit, the water, and the blood. Blood is indicative of salvation. Why? Because it's only through the blood of the lamb that our sins are washed away. Spirit, water, blood, those three elements. And all three of those elements are in agreement. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 2. This one's, this one's really cool stuff. If you think, well, let's go back to the Old Testament and see if the Old Testament supports the New Testament. <laughs> You'll love this. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. He's talking about Moses delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt. Now understand... In the Old Testament, Moses was a deliverer. He was a Christ-like figure in the fact that he went and took the captives of Israel out of Egypt and gave them freedom. He was a deliverer. All right, so it says, they were all baptized into Moses, which is salvation because of the deliverance. They were baptized into the cloud. The cloud oftentimes is referred to as the spirit because here's the thing. When they were leaving Egypt, going to the promised land, it said that a cloud led them by day and a fire led them by night. That's the Holy Spirit. 
when Pentecost Sunday happened and they began to experience the downpour of the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire danced upon their heads. Fire is connected to Holy Spirit. Wind connected to Holy Spirit. Cloud to Holy Spirit. Shekinah glory showed up as a cloud on Mount Sinai and completely engulfed Moses' life. They were baptized into Moses, the cloud, and in the sea, which is their water baptism. Isn't it interesting that Paul uses the word baptism to describe those three works, those three elements of their salvation? The very last one I'll refer to briefly. I won't give you the scriptures where it's in Leviticus uh, and Exodus. The tabernacle that Moses constructed for God. In the midst of the, the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies. This is where God made his dwelling, right? There were three things that you had to go through from the entrance of the tent to get to, to have access to the Father, to God. Can you guess what those three elements were? The first thing you do, you go to the altar, which is where the lamb was sacrificed for the atonement of all the people. You cannot bypass that. You have to go through the blood to get to the next level in the Holy of Holies. Secondly, you would come to the laver. The laver was, was with, uh, it contained water and you would wash yourself prior to entrance into the Holy of Holies. The third element is a flask. And there is where you would anoint yourself with oil, which again represents the anointing of God upon his people, the Holy Spirit anointing. So in the tabernacle, if you want to go see God, you got to pass through the blood, the water, the spirit. Then you can make access to God himself. If you bypass that, what would happen? Yeah, death. That's why they would tie a rope around the priests so that if they went into the Holy of Holies to burn the incense, if they were struck down dead, they could pull them out and not jeopardize themselves. This is just crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. But I didn't write the book. You know, and here's the thing. This is, this is accessible to all of us that want to study this. If you want to read this intently and, and connect the dots, you can do this. And I'm telling you, there are more treasures in this book than you will ever discover in this lifetime. So my, my thing is this. Most of us have not received the Holy Spirit. I know you're saved. I know you're going to heaven. But I also see elements uh, or, or indicators that there's no power to the work you do for the kingdom. There's no power. But you can have that power. All of us can. It's in, we're invited to receive this gift. Why would we not want it? Especially if you're in any sort of ministry. If you're responsible for anybody in marriage, why would you not want the help of the Holy Spirit in your marriage or in parenting your children? Even in cruise-ins. Even in meal packing during Ides Saturdays. Even going on short-term mission trips to New Orleans and handing out bottles of water to homeless people. Why would you not want the Holy Spirit? So what we're going to do is, before, before, uh, there's Laura, before you start playing, is I'm going to invite, everybody, everybody's going to stand up, uh, just so everybody looks the same. Because you don't want to stand out, you know, sometimes. 
But I just invite you all to stand up. And if you're interested in receiving the Holy Spirit, just hold your hands out like you want to receive, right? Because if I was going to pass out $100 bills, you know, saying like I couldn't give you a $100 bill because you don't have your hands out, right? So if you want to receive the Holy Spirit, then hold out your hands, all right? And, and so we're going to pray this. I don't know what's going to happen. You may not feel anything. You might feel a whole lot. I don't know. But this is what God has told me to do, and I'm just trying to be obedient. But I have been praying for the Shekinah glory to come. Maybe today's the day. Let's pray. Holy Father, we pray for this gift, this promise that you have given us through Jesus so many hundreds of years ago. We pray that you will pour your Shekinah glory down upon us. We pray that you will fill our hearts to capacity with this love and power that comes from your kingdom. We pray, Lord, that you will bind the spirit of the devil that is telling us this is stupid and we shouldn't do this. Bind him and cast him away from us. We want to be children of God filled with power so that we can do your work more effectively. I pray that you will pour your spirit into each and every one of us to capacity. And I pray, Lord, that out of the overflow of our hearts, we'll be able to love people and be able to serve their needs. And I pray, Lord, that this power will never depart from us, that it will always empower us to to want to go out and do things, to want to go out and experience things. And I pray, Lord, that through us, you will radically change this culture in which we live in and this community in which you have planted us. Fill us to capacity with your Holy Spirit now and forever. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our closing hymn. Sing it like you mean it, right?
Hey! 